welcome to the Moms on Maternity YouTube show and podcast. I'm Amy Cruz, the founder of Moms on Maternity. Today we have on Artie Kumar-Jane. Artie is the executive director of Holistic Life Care and the founding director of Love and Light for Kids. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Amy? Good. Thank you. It's so nice to talk to you. You, uh, you put a lot of work into the space that we're very passionate about here in terms of uh, family relationships, parent-child relationships, kind of uh, self-care, mindfulness. Tell us a little bit about um, all of your kind of credentials and studies. Sure, for sure. And um, so one of the big focuses I have is on um, authenticity and transparency has become a big. So I just wanted to tell everyone, my name is pronounced Arthi Kumar Jane, and I've been working really hard in this period of my life to, to do a little bit of name correction because... How did I say it? Artie, which I have a part of me that goes by like back in college <laughs> and like my teaching years, but I'm trying to be really good about name pronunciation now. Awesome. Yes. Anyway, so um, Amy, the transparency that comes with me is that I love working with children because they are the most transparent things you'll ever encounter. They're real, they're authentic. And I have learned so much um, with them and working with them. And um, with that, of course, when I became a mom myself, I think it really helped me become a better clinician because I did parenting groups before I had kids. And I did always have that empathy, but truly I wasn't getting the entire picture probably. And they were probably thinking, what does this 20 year, year old know about? Well, so let's back, okay, let's back up. So you start, you were working with families and kids before you became a mom, correct? Yes, I've been doing it for a long time. So I started off in a little background. I actually was a former elementary school teacher. I was a preschool teacher before that. I've always been in education and loved kids. And then I moved into clinical counseling and worked a lot with youth and families and um, parents in different settings. So what kind of training did you have to go through to um, have those types of roles? So uh, for, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology and a minor in international studies. And then I decided I became a kindergarten assistant because I wanted to see is this something I want to do. So then I really love the classroom. Then, then I pursued a master's in elementary ed. So I was certified from P PK through sixth grade. And then I taught inclusion classrooms with special education needs was, a, I had a, a year that I um, really focused on autism, really became a better teacher after that year, truly the rest of my career. And then I moved into um, the, like mental health because I decided I was really focused a lot on wanting to do the social emotional needs more than like the teaching of the content. And so then I pursued my master's in so then you pivoted from being an elementary school teacher, focusing on kindergarten to, um, you know, a general general kindergarten teacher to more of a mental health professional. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And that also shaped me truly as a better teacher, like, because I, the holistic way of looking at a child, I was able to not always look at the behavior, the overt behavior I became more compassionate and empathetic to looking at what was really happening to that child holistically, the big picture for them. So what could, tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, um, what is, you know, what is the spectrum of mental health and how do you look at someone holistically, a child or an adult? A great question. So 
for instance, and I know this is a big push in education now, you never just look at a child for the overt behavior. Like, are they hungry? Are they lonely? Are they tired? Like, halt. Like, we should never go to a grocery store if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Same with kids. What's happening? <laughs> I'm, I do it all the time. No, <laughs> but what I'm trying to get at is to look at a child like in that lens, like, are they tired and they're reacting? Are they hungry? And even with our own children, right? I forget to do this sometimes too, but if we kind of develop that acronym for ourselves and for our children, it can be really empowering to start looking at them in a different lens and not focus so much on that behavior. The behavior is always calling for something else is what we, and then we have a shift as adults. Oh wait, this is calling for us. So let's go ahead and do a shift in our mental space and then really serve our kids. So holistically is really looking at nutritionally, sleep deprivation, and sometimes even kids who look like they're sleeping solidly are really not like, especially right during COVID, they're maybe going to bed earlier or parents are trying to put them to bed earlier, but they're still laying down. I mean, they're lying awake at night. That anxiety has been kicking in. Um, so uh, yes, it's nutrition and sleep. What, causes, um, and what are the causes of anxiety in a child? You know, we use that word a lot. And so I just want to remind our listeners and viewers that anxiety, my definition, I'm not talking about the clinical definition, which the DSM is the Diagnostic of Statistic Manuals, which is the embodiment from the American Psychiatric Association. I'm going to be very clear that I'm giving you my definition, which is, okay. which is the idea when we in our, in our bodies and our mind um, become a little bit fixated with something that it cannot allow us to function. So for instance, it could be like, I'll give you an example. I had a spot on my shirt and I like dabbed it with water, but I became very nervous <laughs> about if I need to change my shirt. And I was like, wait, I'm coming on Amy's show. Do I have a moment to ask her if I'm going to be able to see this on camera? I became a little fixated with it while I was getting ready. And so if that happen for a longer period of time that anxious thought is overtaking me being like if I was thinking about it right now and it kept coming back to me is that a flaw in the human brain that's a great question it is called our monkey brain as and I forgot who termed that coin because it's being tossed around right yeah our monkey brain is literally the beauty behind the human mind is also that it's got pros and cons and one of them is firing rapidly those neurons, but they can also cause us to do crazy things in our mind. Yes. Ah, interesting. So how do you, um, how do you serve the community through light and love and light for kids? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So we provide coaching services for parents, childs, and families. I do a lot of consulting work. So I have um, contracts with various agencies. Re recently, I just did one for clinicians, a wellness workshop, just at one hour. We did some chair yoga and some mindfulness with them and had a little processing and journaling. What does the mindfulness section look like? So mindfulness for clinicians, because I do. Is both. that the one you did? That? Okay. Yeah, that was for clinicians, self-care for clinicians who take care of youth and children. That mindfulness was just doing some guided relaxation mm -hmm. during our work day. It was really, they found it really helpful to just close their eyes and get to have a few minutes to themselves. Yeah. It's pretty impactful, especially it if you never so do it. Totally. Do you meditate or do you, do you actually have a time you take out of every day to so, Great question, Amy. In total transparency, the last two weeks I've been all over the place, so it hasn't been that well accompanied, but I have come, I got myself grounded today and I was like, 
I did spend five minutes. How did you get yourself grounded? I reminded myself I was like off the kilter missing what I love. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> and I preach it all the time. I'm like, wait, I can't be telling other people to do this when I know in my heart what it does well, for me. Something you said to me in an earlier conversation we had was like, stay present or like something yes. around that line. And yes. I thought that was really a nice way. Yes. So Amy, there's no guilt associated because I've let that go. So for two, I realized I was a little off balance. I gave my permission to have my two weeks. I also noticed my eating patterns. So something was happening with me. I haven't put my finger on it. It could be that I'm close to PMSing. Probably so, right? Regardless of always trying to give things a reason, I'm just riding the wave and then I'm ready. I mean, I've already started to come back to my practice and on Monday, I've already committed to eating the way that I normally eat, which is pretty clean on Monday through Friday, you know? Okay. So I I like what um, you were saying earlier about um, nutrition and sleep being such a big part of your program. Yes. Amy, um, so on my nonprofit side, I am a certified health coach and I've been looking at nutrition for um, about four years very closely, um, but especially now in mental health. So I do a lot of work at looking at ADHD and mental health. And I do a lot of work at looking at cancer and, and, and um, cancer and nutrition too. That's a big passion of mine, but, but really all of it is showing that there is such a need to start paying attention to what these kids are um, having access to and what they're putting in their bodies and things like in the morning. For a lot of these kids, as much as even I at times, like we have cereal once a week and I tell the girls like you can't have it all the time because cereal has an abundant amount of sugar for the morning. It's easy, but we have to kind of reframe, especially for kids who are diagnosed with ADHD and on the spectrum, like cereal's gotta, gotta kind of like be curbed, or you have to look specifically to watch how much sugar. And there's some brands out there like Kashi and um, a few others, and they're not on my mind, that have definitely taken time to, and um, cascade. So what are alternatives to cereal for breakfast? Because my kids just love cereal. As do oh, I. No, as do I, girl. Yeah. I grew up for cereal for breakfast. Yeah. I mean, I dinner, like I'd love it too. So <laughs> I, I mean, I have to tell you like t- twice a week, like so twice a week, but the biggest thing is, Amy, even before cutting out the cereal, it's really paying attention to protein for kids in the morning. And that can come through a smoothie. Mm-hmm. Smoothies are great because Smoothies even- They are easy too. They, they are easy. Yeah. Smoothies are great. Stick a dollop of peanut butter, or almond butter. Great sticking. idea. So what, what, you do a peanut butter almond milk one? I haven't been, but I, I do my smoothies for my kids for snack. But you can have your almond milk and what else? You can do you can do peanut butter tablespoon of peanut butter, but more than peanut butter, I suggest almond butter has more protein. Almond butter, got it. Okay. Yeah, peanut butter is great. I would tell you to do the peanut butter to really taste it. I'm all about it with the carrots and the and the kids love it too. Remember, they love dip, dips and spreads. Yeah, I know. You know, so I would stick to peanut butter with crackers or um, carrots and celery, and let the almond butter because kids especially have noticed. So what what do you what you put in your smoothie? Almond butter and what else? Almond butter, I tell you, banana, spinach mm-hmm. is really important for that mm-hmm. iron. And Amy, I stick frozen fruit during yeah. during the times I can't have access to fresh fruit. I live near the farm, so we're going to get to have fresh strawberries and blueberries. But during the winter, I'm strictly like what I have to think about accessibility. I also want to remind everyone who's listening, you know, when you do buy produce for your kids, like always pay attention to what's in seasonal because it can, it can truly affect our gut health when we're eating off 
seasonally for our kids too. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. a, there's a whole big topic on this. We could talk about it forever, but those are just some hints. Oh, so thinking back to family best practices and family health. So we talked a little bit about kind of protein, cutting out some sugar nutritionally. What about some other healthy family practices? Sure. Amy, let me reverse back to cereal. I don't want anyone thinking that cereal is not okay. I just want to remind to look at the sugar content. That's okay. all. Just okay. label read. Because even in my family, we're not, I'm not, I'm being completely frank with you. I'm not, my family's not giving it up. I don't, my girl, <laughs> yeah. like, I have to be practical. I'm just asking our listeners to pay attention to how much sugar you'd be floored, how many grams. Yeah. You know what I do? I actually pour the cereal in a bowl and then I just add like raw oats to it just to like make it less of just the bait. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Totally. That's great. So just want to remind everyone, I'm not, I'm just encouraging you to take a look at the sugar, but for ADHD kids, especially, or kids who are diagnosed. Oh, actually, let me ask you a question. Um, how old are your kids right now? My, my girls are, um, one's actually going to be, she's going to be seven in two weeks. And then mm-hmm. I have a five-year-old. Seven and five. So how has your career changed from before you had kids to when they were babies and toddlers to now a little bit older? That's a great question. So Amy, with, when my um, almost seven-year-old with her, I was working at a practice about part-time because I always, if I, I had this dream, if I had the opportunity that I wanted to stay home with my own kids because I'd served so many other people's children, right? And I also knew that was something I wanted to do. So I was really blessed to be able to have that time. Um, so I was working about 10 to 15 hours in a practice but I remember when, you know, at times my mom would help wash her if my husband had to travel and my little one would look at me, you know, when they look at you when you're leaving, like with their toddler and they're waving, I was like, you just realize how precious they are and how quick it goes. When, my, when I was pregnant with my second, that's when I was like, wait, let me just take a break. Cause how am I going to do this? Like, how am I really, I have a traveling husband, even though my mom is around, she can help, but still, I really want this time. So I did take a, a leave. And what I did was I was working with my old practice, still doing like lots of webinars and workshops. And she was scheduled with me because we could do on the weekends, we could pre-record. So I did a lot of that kind of thing. And that worked out really well, which I still do a lot of is a lot of um, education through webinars and seminars for different organizations. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so how did it, so you basically stuck with the virtual webinar kind of not, not kind of more flexible path ever since they were toddlers too, right now. the yeah. five is That's like when Zoom came along and everybody was, I was like, I already know how to do Zoom. <laughs> right? You're like, I'm ahead of the game. I mean, granted, I didn't know how to use half the features, but I was, you know what I mean. Like, so have you always done, done your, have you, you consider yourself mostly then a facilitator classroom style leader versus a one-on-one counselor or coach? That's a great question. Um, I find myself, if you look at my practice, what I'm doing more of, it is more of the, more of the webinar style, but the, the coaching is definitely picking up. And I actually do like, as I'm getting more and more grounded with it, because I, you know, I, I had to do a mental shift from coming from therapy to coaching. It's a very different modality. And just for our listeners to understand yeah, explain that, that's interesting. Yes. So therapy is looking at the past right? Trying to make, I'm going to break it down a little bit, just in my terms, again, breaking down our past and making sense of it. And so usually, not always, there's some type of diagnosis typically. And that's the part that I really was never a fan of, right? Why is that? Why does there need to be a diagnosis to break down the past? 
Not always. Not everybody has a clinical diagnosis, but again, diagnosis also leads to billing. <laughs> so there's like oh, that piece of thing. Billing, really? Yes, yes, it does have. You can't bill without a diagnosis. I mean, not, it depends on how the insurance works. So this wow. is, I mean, that's so interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. It all is based on insurance, right? Unless you cash pay, which is another route. Yes. Yes, totally. But Amy, that is trying to make sense of our past and coaching is again, and then therapists go through an enormous amount of clinical hours and a master's program to become clinicians. So Every state has about 3,000, 4,000 hours of supervised. But you are so a clinician therapist is what you were. Yes, but I actually never got licensed because I moved around so much. So okay. I was always under the supervision of someone okay. and had great supervisors. But I'm, I just want to acknowledge the fact that therapists work their tail feathers off to get where they are because they work to get there a long time. And then coaches... Coaches are still have a practice that is embodied by what's called International Coaching Federation, ICF. Now, every coaching program is different. You've probably seen a lot of people call themselves a life coach or, a, you know, but they're not certified. So I wanted to make sure I was providing quality care. So I got all the necessary. I, be, I had to become a professional coach first. Then I became a certified parent, child, family coach. Like you had to, I had to layer my program in order to get the grounding. Tell us more about a certified parent child coach. What what is it? What does the training look like? And yes, sure. So my program at the World Coach Institute, there's a few parenting coaching programs out there that just have you do like maybe a six month program. You know, mine had us do a lay a layer of just professional coaching, learning the ethics, Mm -hmm. learning the value set. And let me backtrack. Coaching is taking the present and moving forward. So it's a lot of goal setting, a lot of forward momentum, a lot of solution focus. And so Amy, anyone who needs to address trauma, like I would refer out to having them go, you know, meet with a therapist. So I always have a bunch of- I love what you said. Therapy is for assessing or getting something dealt with from the past. Mm -hmm. Coaching is more of, what did you say? A future- Future and and then looking at goals and objectives. I love that. I think that's a nice like dichotomy of explaining, do you want therapy or do you want coaching? I've never heard it. And some people need both at the same time where they're ready to do all. So they may take, they may realize. And to be honest with you, we may see in this new era of post COVID that people actually really do need to have both. And that's that's where I want to come on board with getting some grounding with some therapists where some therapists realize that they also need some coaching and they need both. Hmm. And that's where that forward movement can happen. Like you can be working on your past, but simultaneously still moving forward. Right. That's wow. the goal. When do people commonly have that like aha moment? Like I need a therapist or I need a coach or either one. Well, I have seen when they are really feeling like, oh, else I can't do this by myself anymore. You know, which one, the therapy or the coach or either? The the therapy. People are still drawn to thinking they need a therapist first. And again, I'm not knocking. Look, I've I've done, I've been in both sides of the spectrum. The needs are based on what the presenting issue is. And I don't call it a problem because in coaching, we're just looking at it oftentimes, you know, right now, a lot of the caseload for me has been, there's just a a level of anxiety for a lot of the kids. And so I see a lot more with, with, um, with 
that piece or social skills. They need social skills. So then we work with that piece, right? So, because they have been in isolation for so long. So, um, and these are kids who might've had normal experiences, but they still have lost their lives in the last year. And you're seeing kids um, talking about this to them today? Yeah, in terms of, yes, post COVID, what they look like, yes, for coaching modality, yes. So there, there, you've started these webinars for the social skills post COVID? Oh, well, what, what we did was in my old, my practice that I was working with, we had social skills groups that um, basically we did what's called the mental health piece of like the clinical skills, like teaching them self-regulation or anger management. And then we would include yoga and mindfulness. So um, we co-facilitated. I had- and What a, ages is that? For that me? was ages five. We had two groups, five through eight and nine through 12. Okay, and that was pre-COVID, right? No, during, during. This during COVID, okay. So the social skills piece, where did that come in? Like teaching them skills within of the group dynamic. Like some of them were, were always talking over each other. So learning them how to have the engage, even Zoom, you can engage kids to how to slow down and talk, making eye contact. I can tell you Zoom as a platform has really been helpful for teaching social skills. We would teach them how to, I would literally put a finger on, I mean, a dot on my, um, uh, in the middle of my forehead, they would follow it, making eye contact, teaching them how to engage with their teachers. Sometimes you can look at your camera. Sometimes you can look down. It's okay. Like, you know, and giving them permission. So what are your hopes for the future? That's a loaded question, Amy. It is a loaded question. I know. But what's the first thing that came to your mind when I asked it? Hope for the future is that kids and families get to feel like they can, especially kids, that they can do whatever and make their dreams come true. And for those parents to feel like no matter how old they are, if they have aspirations, they can all happen, but to give themselves permission. I love that. It's so true. Uh, what kind of programming should, I mean, you know, mental health programming should we have our kids in as parents from you know, age five to 10. Yoga. That's the main one. Why? I just had a conversation yesterday. Um, he, he, uh, um, his name is Andres Gonzalez. He's the co-founder of this organization called Holistic Life Foundation. And he and his team, these guys came together in inner city Baltimore and <laughs> they put together this awesome program, nonprofit, looking at yogas for inner city school. And it's it has blossomed in the last 15 plus years. But so Amy, the thing is he has, he, I, all these folks know that it can completely change um, mindset and can really help empower people and societies in the world. Like, and we're, and it's accessible, like it's free, you know, like, and it's an inward practice and you can't do it wrong. Like I, can tell you kids my daughter may not be good at soccer but she could be good at basketball but yoga is actually going to make her be better at whatever sport she's in and do you believe you know? there's a difference though doing yoga and like a yoga center versus at home in your living room with zoom so amy i think about whatever floats your boat like if you i have been where my practice was really good when i was going especially when i was pregnant like my prenatal yoga was very helpful and i love meeting with the other moms like that was like me too great. That was actually what started so much of my journey yeah yes and i can tell you i had a better deliver i know for a fact i had better delivery because of how truly 
I was in sync with my body, right? I can honestly tell you. Um, and those moms that we, that I had met, they're like lifelong friends through that class, actually, even if we don't talk all the time, I just know we carried that journey together. Yeah. Um, so Amy now, like I'm in a place where I can't fit it into my schedule to go to a class also Mm -hmm. COVID, but I've decided I do think I want to add it back in, but I do love practicing in my house too, because you have like a, like set up a little space, like candles, like a certain room or just any, anywhere. I do have a couple, I have yoga mats upstairs, downstairs, but sometimes I don't even have a mat and I don't even think it's about yoga mats. Sometimes I just remember yoga is mind, body, and breath. I will just sit down and like just to close my and that's yoga too and just breathing practice right so you have we can't just so, yeah so like one minute versus 10 minutes versus a half hour versus a full hour if you can get to that the out remember that we have different brain waves and if we can get to that place where we're so in harmony it could be the best five minutes versus 30 that's minutes so of you cool. being, yeah. being so hard. I, I really really also need to focus on that part of my life more you know meditation and and yoga I'm I'm a runner so I like to run and it's you know yes for runners especially it has been found to really you know actually in a way you are medit you are actually doing yoga and running because you're in the moment you have to Mm -hmm. remember actually you don't you know what I mean I think you're saying you want to sounds like I hear you saying you want to practice more when you're not running is what I hear you saying well, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, because I do agree with you. Um, no, because I think, you know, as similar or different as it is, I mean, running is like the same repetitive motion and challenging yourself to like maintain a pace or a, a speed. Um, but then the yoga, you know, challenges you in different ways because you're moving through the different poses um, and each pose, some might be easier for you, some might be harder for you, just like, but running, you know, it's a little different. It is different. But see, this is a part of yoga where you like, let's say after you let's say between meetings, you just close your eyes and you go in and you just it's almost like like taking a little power nap for two minutes and you'll reset and you literally give oxygen to your mind. You're like and you and Mm -hmm. reset. What time do you wake up in the morning? (laughs) Don't ask me my crazy schedule. It's really come on, tell us your crazy schedule. Oh no, because I work at night, like, and I'm a night owl. So yeah. right now my kids are at home when they are in there in school and I would be up at six, six, six thirty. right now. I'm like, it's like seven 38. I know. No, day. me too. One of my goals is to start waking up earlier again too. Cause yeah, I think last year threw us all awful. Totally. But I'm also working night. Like, I don't know about you. I just do better working at nighttime. Especially yeah. when you're small, when you're a business owner, a lot of it, you can catch up on stuff at yeah. night. Yeah. Well, kind of the night, sometimes I'm so tired by the time my kids go to bed. I just want to go to bed. Oh my God. That happens to me all the time too. Like last week I was just like, oh, it's it. Oh, mother. Okay. I'm out. Right. Yeah. Cool. So you guys got any plans for the summer? Um, We're going down to Florida for a week with my husband's side of the family. And then I'm just actually interesting enough. You asked me, I was making some, signing the girls up for some, um, some camps. Like there's a golf camp. Oh, cool. Golf camp. Yeah, so YMCA has this partnership with our Hampton Roads. I live in Virginia Beach and they have, so I encourage our listeners to look look at different options around your community. They are great partnerships for schools and programs for kids. Through the YMCA? Through the YMCA. Oh, you're talking about, okay, cool. 
Awesome. Well, um, I think this has been really helpful. I think I, you know, I hope to continue to uh, collaborate with you. I think the work you're doing for families and kids is oh, um, really helpful. So thank you so much. And how can people find you? Yes, for sure. The website is www.loveandlight4kids, the number four, K-I-D-Z-L-L-C.com. I'll put it in the show notes. And it's, sorry, I was reading you off my email. Is it any final uh, words of advice or just things you want to communicate? Yes, Amy, I always like to end with the message of just being really kind and patient and loving to yourself because everybody's, I mean, really just, just give yourself a pat on the back, even when no one else does and give yourself a squeeze and a hug because, you know, everybody's in it together and you're What kind of information can people find on your website? Oh, on the website we have my, I just had to transfer a bunch of stuff, but I used, I have a blog that I sometimes will post on to. Um, I do post a lot onto my Instagram, which is love and light for KIDZ Instagram. And then my Facebook page is linked to Instagram. Um, and then I'm trying to get my YouTube channel launched with different things. And I recently just did a virtual tips, um, for voice of America. They asked me to do a segment and it was about a three minute segment on virtual tips. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Amy, for having me and your audience. Thank you. For more, please visit www.mamsofmaternity.com.